Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for, and sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Janae Marks is the author of critically acclaimed middle grade novels From the Desk of Zoe Washington, A Soft Place to Land, and the forthcoming novel On Air with Zoe Washington. She has an MFA in writing for children from the new school and lives in Connecticut with her husband, daughter, and miniature schnauzer. Here's my conversation with Janae. Hi, Janae. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so excited. I'm excited to talk about your new book. And we discussed right before we started recording, but you are in the midst of a heat wave on the East Coast. And so therefore, I salute you for making this happen today in the midst of the weather. Yeah, chatting is a good distraction. So... (laughs) Forget about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I love it. Okay, so to start, I had a few lightning round questions, but not like super fast lightning round because I usually like to ask follow up questions. So that's it. So let's start with that. And then we can, and then by the end, we'll be best friends and it'll be all set. Okay, so first, beach or mountains? Oh, beach. Even beach. though we just talked about the heat, I still. I, you know, even on a hot day, like the breeze, the beach, you know, it's still a very pleasant place to be. I definitely enjoy the beach. Yes. Are you a water baby? Do you like? Um, a lot of time. I think as a kid, I for sure was. As an adult, I tend to sit on the sidelines with my book, but sometimes, sometimes I'll go in. It kind of depends on the, the water. Like if it's, if it's like, you know, Florida ocean is much nicer than I'm in Northeast, like water, you know? Yes. So, but if it's a really hot day, I definitely could be convinced to in. Same thing with pools, you know, like if it's hot enough, like I'm excited enough to go in, I'll go in. Otherwise I'm perfectly happy to just chill on the sidelines with my book. So it's yeah. so true. <laughs> I think I realize the beauty of that now as a mom, right? Cause my kids are past the age where I'm constantly worried about them drowning. So then when they can be doing their thing and I'm just, just got my exactly. book and nobody's yeah. talking to me. Exactly. It's magical. You're entertained. It's nice weather. <laughs> you know, you have the breeze. Great. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So beach check. Now here's another question though. Lake or ocean? I haven't spent that much time at lakes. I probably would say ocean. Okay. Probably just because I've spent more time at them. Again, it kind of really depends on where, like, of course the Caribbean is much nicer. <laughs> yeah, That would be my favorite ocean. But I mean, there's probably some really nice lakes. I just haven't since going to, I would say, sleepaway camp, you know, or things like that. Like, I haven't really spent a lot of time swimming in lakes, so. It's really true. And the only reason I asked is we were recently on a lake, and I thought, oh, I thought, like, I forgot how nice lakes but could be. But it is be. pleasant looking. Yeah, yes. it does seem nice. And I guess there's the sense, maybe it's less dangerous because there's not as much 
wildlife. Like there's fish, maybe <laughs> yes. not parts. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I agree with that. that so. It's true. Yes. Yeah. Not so much of a, unless you're in Florida and you got to worry about the gators, which is a whole separate right, thing. That's true. So well, I will say that my husband is really into like kayaking and things like that. And oh, boats, okay. And his dream is to live on the water, like one day. And we probably okay. would want to live on a lake as opposed to the beach because lakes are less likely to flood and cause all those kind of issues. Totally. So, one, so I can see myself maybe one day being very, okay. like this dream comes true one day. <laughs> I love this. I feel like we're very, um, maybe kindred spirits on this, right? Where it's like, yes, according to my conditions, right? Yeah, like I can't for sure say lake or ocean until you've shown me which right. lake which and lake, which yeah. ocean. Exactly. Like, come on. Yeah. That's not a fair question. Okay. Good. I like that feedback. Here's another question. Whoopie pies or ice cream? Oh, this is actually a really interesting. Oh, okay. I forgot you read that. I was like, wait, this is so specific. <laughs> okay. Okay. I definitely we'll loop much back around. I will definitely be much more of an ice cream person. I was like, how did she know? I was like, oh yeah. You read the book. Okay. Yeah. So that that is a reference to my newest book. But yes. I actually really much prefer ice cream. What kind of ice cream do you like? I will try different things, but usually I like something that has like chocolate chips or something like that in it or like nuts in it. Like uh, there's, there's some that have, or like Oreos crushed in it. So maybe like a, a vanilla base with some interesting mixed in stuff, you know, like if you're talking Ben and Jerry's, I like Cherry Garcia because it's like, you know, the kind of like a, it has a cherry flavored ice cream, but it's very mild flavor, but it has all the stuff in it. Like I like that. Okay. So. I enjoy going to places like 16 Handles or like those those frozen yogurt places where you can kind of like get a little bit of frozen yogurt and then you can put your own toppings in. Are you one of those people that takes a long time? No, because I kind of do the same thing. Okay. Every time. <laughs> Good, <laughs> then we boring. can go together. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, and you made a reference to that in the book about crunchy things enhancing the sweetness. Yeah. yeah so that I makes think sense. I was like, That's, that was actually because I don't know if this will come up, but the reason why I I put a lot of baking in my books is because I like watching a lot of those baking competition shows. Oh my and a gosh. lot of times that's what the judges will say. They'll be like, this could have been better if there was a crunchy element or like, they'll say like, Oh, I liked the fact that this had something crunchy." you know? So I feel like I just pay, you just hear these same kind of comments over and over yes. of like what makes a really good dessert. And I, so that kind of made me want to add in that particular recipe in that particular book, something crunchy. Well, it was perfect. And I did think, I have to say it made me want to eat whoopie pies again. Cause yeah, I feel like, I, a good, like well done whoopie pie is amazing. Yeah, same. I would I would enjoy it. and I do like cake. And I and I, you know, so if it depending on the flavor, I think yes. I would also really enjoy a whoopie pie. I also wonder if you could do an ice cream sandwich whoopie pie. That would combine the two and that could be amazing. Uh that sounds amazing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so all you bakers out there, get get cracking. That sounds really good. Okay. First job when you were young. As a kid, I mean, probably babysitter, which did not last very long because I did not like it. <laughs> you didn't like it? What didn't you like about babysitting? Well, I think I might have just had bad luck. I think the first, very first babysitting job I had, I was I was too young to technically handle it all on my own. So I was babysitting the neighbor's baby. And so they, the baby was just at our house. My mom was upstairs. So it was like I was babysitting, but my mom was really watching us. Right. But when I got old enough to do it on my own, I went with a family that, you know, like, I think somebody else had babysat for them before sure. and recommended me or whatever. And okay. they had three children and it was just a lot of children. I was not an expert. I loved the Babysitter's Club series as a child, but I was not of that caliber of babysitting ability. So it was just really, they were not, they were a rambunctious bunch. I would say the youngest one was the easiest one. She was only three. You just had to keep an eye on her and her shoes very sweet. But the older two, I almost felt like they were trying to sabotage everything and like, <laughs> 
they like did not like having a babysitter and they just wanted to make things difficult on purpose. I felt like yes. that. So I think I babysat them twice. One time the parent literally dropped us off at a playground and didn't come back. And I didn't have a driver's license at this point. I think I might've been 13 or 14. So we were, I was just stranded at this playground with them. Oh, it no. was it was a nightmare. So I said never again, and I think I just literally never babysat again. I was like, I, I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's true. You do have to watch out for those older ones because you're right. If yeah, they, they were had a like maybe older elementary school, but I think they just had enough knowledge to know how to like mess with their babysitters. They were so. coming for you. <laughs> I understand. You were like, I'm out. <laughs> well. Y- Good job on that lightning round. That was excellent. And I feel like I learned a lot about you. That's so fun. So we're going to jump right in. But before we do, we're going to give everyone a spoiler alert because we will be talking about the sequel to From the Desk of Zoe Washington, which was your first novel in this series. And naturally, when we talk about on air with Zoe Washington, we're going to be spoiling what happens in the first book. Exactly. Okay. So everyone out there, if you don't like this, then turn off now and don't tell me I didn't warn you because I just <laughs> did. And only because Janae pointed it out. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise I would have just walked them down the I know. path. Some people care about spoilers. So yes. FYI. <laughs> Which is true. And I do deeply care about that. Like when people spoil stuff for me, I feel very annoyed. So I appreciate it. Okay. So I want to talk about how first life imitates art. Cause I was reading on air with Zoe Washington and thinking, oh my gosh, Zoe's pitching these people just like I emailed Janae and said, do you want to be on this podcast? Yeah. It was kind of perfect. Yeah, that is very true. (laughs) Yeah, it was was appropriate. How did you land on the topic really for both stories? Yeah, so the first one, which the topic is sort of the idea of wrongful convictions, you know, Zoe starts communicating with her dad through letters in the very beginning of the first book and ends up finding out and he's been in prison her whole life. So she doesn't know him at all, but they mm-hmm. start communicating with him um, via letter. And then she finds out that he might actually be innocent of his crime. So it might actually be a wrongful conviction. And then the first book, you know, she's kind of uncovering the truth about what happens. And then spoiler, she ends up finding out that he, you know, she ends up finding a, a big piece of evidence that kind of proves that he is innocent. And then we find out that he was eventually in the, you know, in the future yes. released. And then in, in book two, it's kind of showing what life is like now that he's out and how the relationship develops from there. Yes. And so the first book was actually inspired by a podcast, another podcast. Um, how ironic. S-E-R-I-A-L, if you're familiar. Yes, that first yes I've that listened podcast to podcast was super popular yes. many years ago. And it told the story of a man who a lot of people believe is innocent of his crime. And so I think just from listening to that, it just kind of got me thinking about this idea of wrongful convictions. And this is the fourth book that I ever wrote, although it was the first one that got published. So I had been writing other books for kids that, you know, as an aspiring author hadn't been published yet. And so my mind automatically went to, you know, what would it be like to be the kid of somebody in this position, you know? So that's kind of how, that was the spark for the first book. And then, you know, different, different elements of inspiration came from there. Like the baking came from my love of baking competition shows and, you know, the friendship storyline, because that was a big part of my middle school years, you know, so I definitely want that friendship in there. That was that. And then the second book, I actually wasn't planning on writing a sequel, to be honest. It really was just going to end with the epilogue, which kind of gives you a sense of what, you know, how it wraps up. But as I started going to school visits and hearing from kids, like they kept asking me, is there going to be a sequel? And I was like, no, I don't think so. I feel like it really, you know, of course you could always write more about characters, but I feel like it wraps up. Sure. But then the more that they kept asking, the more I was like, maybe I should. I was like, I don't know what it would be, though, because in my mind, I was like, well, there's going to need to be another mystery because the first one had a mystery. I was right. like, well, a mystery. it seems weird that she just like fall into another mystery. It was very specific to her dad, you know? Yes. And I was like, well, what else would I talk about? And then I realized, you know, like life doesn't like when somebody gets 
out of prison, like it can be just, it can be hard to re, you know, re-enter society. And so that was, as I was thinking about that side of things, I was like, oh, I think there's an opportunity to kind of share that side of things. Like what it's like when you get out, how it's not always so easy and how even if you were exonerated, meaning that you were um, eventually proven innocent of a crime, it doesn't necessarily mean that your life is magically back to the way it was before. It could still be very hard. And so this was an opportunity for me to not only show what Marcus and Zoe's relationship is like now, but also share some of those challenges and have Zoe kind of be witnessing some of that um, too. And so I figured I could, you know, after talking to my editor, we established that we didn't need to have a mystery necessarily. We can have another goal or thing that Zoe wants to achieve, which she has. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then I kind of was able, once I kind of let go of the idea that it had to have some sort of like, oh gosh, I hope that this banging is not too loud, but it's not too loud. People have work to do. Um, as long as we, you know, she has a goal or something that she's trying to achieve that we didn't have to have a mystery. And once I let go of that, it kind of opened my mind to the different directions the story could go. So that's sort of where, and then of course I had to have baking again. And then of course I had to have friendship again, like with the same, you know, like I wanted to have those things again. So that helps me too, to figure out where to go. You did such a fantastic job on the sequel. I feel like oh, sequels can fall flat sometimes. Yeah, it was scary because, you know, like I know the first book, so many people really loved it. And, you know, and what it just, you want to, you want to put something out that they're going to love just as much. So it's like I, all that pressure, but yeah. I also just had so much fun writing it, honestly, like it really was an enjoyable experience because I really enjoyed getting back to the characters and thinking about what life would be like for them. So well, it was really fun. I'm so glad because it does come through. You really do flesh it out. However, I will say it does stand on its own too. If somebody picked up this book and they hadn't read from the desk of Zoe Washington, I think they would still really enjoy it. You did a good job of it. Yeah, because it's not, you don't necessarily, I feel like she hints at the things that have happened in the past enough that you probably could very well. Yeah. Yes. But I do think it really is richer if you read the first one first. And I'm so excited for my students at school because we read from the desk of Zoe Washington for, I do fifth grade book clubs with Mm -hmm. them. And so we did that one at the end of last year and all the kids just loved it. So they'll be so excited to know there's a sequel. Yeah. I know that's been the best part is finally being able to say yes when they ask if there's going to be a sequel. And honestly, I really did, you know, dedicate in the beginning of the book to all the readers because all it really was because of them that I even thought of making a sequel because I really was thinking it gets wrapped up like I made an epilogue, you know, guys, I'm already done with this. Stop pressuring me. So yeah, I'm like, it just kind of goes to show, you know, how, you know, how kids like their opinions matter. Like they really influenced me. So yes. Well, and I love that. I want to talk about a few of the themes in on air with Zoe Washington. I really liked, well, first we talk about Marcus is an exoneree and that that is kind of there, that whole idea. And it starts there, but then some of what Zoe has to flesh out and think about around that is really powerful. And I also liked where you wrote, maybe that's why nobody was doing anything about this. If the majority of exonerees were black, then it shouldn't have surprised me that Massachusetts and other states were not going out of their way to make sure these people had the resources they needed once they got out. This is Zoe speaking. That wasn't how America was set up, and that wasn't necessarily going to change anytime soon, which sucked. And I wrote that out because it was so perfectly put, and Zoe's a great vehicle to look at that issue because she's in that phase of life where she can appreciate the sort of the delta between what is and what should be. Right. But there's also sort of a 
I, I guess just a better approach to that where it's like, yeah, that sucks. It shouldn't be yeah, that way. Exactly. Yeah. I thought I you know, did. I think that's the one thing that I think was really nice about continuing on with her journey was, yeah, being able to have her kind of take even the next steps and really thinking about how the world works, you know, because she starts getting into that in the first book, but realizes, you know, it doesn't, again, it doesn't just end when they're out of prison. Like it's still unfair for a lot of people outside. And that's kind of what prompted her to start the podcast in the book. Um, yes. You know. Well, and her what is a more of a personal narrative or or story in the beginning becomes more of a universal one in this book right. because she is opening that up. You're exactly right. I love Zoe's perspective too. She's so forthright as a person and pretty honest. And I really appreciate that about her character too. I think she's really, she reminds me of an eighth grader. So you did okay. a really good job writing her. <laughs> I know, yeah. that's what I'm saying too. It's like as an author who's clearly many years away from middle school, you're always like hoping. And what? this is also a challenge too because she is a little bit older in this book. There had to be kind of a time jump, you know, jump ahead. Yes. Um, due to the nature of the story, you know, there's kind of no way around it. So she had to be a little bit older. And so figuring out how to navigate that, like how how old can we make her so it's still middle grade, but you know, you know, yes. so having her kind of be on the crux of high school felt like the right thing. And yeah, so she's a little bit more mature, I would I would think, in this one. But yeah, she's still trying to figure some stuff out. Yeah, she is. And she retains what's so great about her in the first book, which is she's a go-getter. She sees something and she wants it done. And I I identify with that sort of um well, like, you know, I don't want to give anything away in this book, but basically a few situations come up where she's just like, well, hold on. I can't take no for an answer here. And I appreciate that about her because I too have that sort of personality trait. So you did a really good job writing it though, where you (laughs) identify with her. And she also is in the same token, she's a move forward person, but then there was one line, I wished I could go back 30 seconds and keep my mouth shut. And I highlighted it because I was like, how many times have I thought that in my life? Like she, she kind of has that sort of exuberance that spills over into impulsivity at some time. Exactly. Yeah. Did you enjoy writing her? Like, was that, did you take pieces of people you knew or pieces of yourself or how did you, how did Um, you come upon her? I think, I don't know. I, I might have, I think it was a mix of things. I wouldn't say I necessarily am like, I I wish I was more like her as a kid. I was not as, you know, outgoing and, you know, I was passionate about things as a kid, but I wasn't as, I was much more reserved. I wasn't likely to, you know, go against, I definitely wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the kind of kid that would go against anybody like of authority. Like I was like a rule follower to a T (laughs) as a kid. So she's different in that way, but I think it was definitely fun to, not only develop her positive traits, but also like some of her flaws, you know, because I think that's what makes kids real and people real. So she's not perfect. And there are some times that people say like, oh, I got annoyed when she did this. And I'm like, well, you know, like she's a kid and that's what kids do. Like they're in the first book, she lies to her parents quite a bit. And, you know, eventually yes. that comes to haunt, you know, at the end that's it backfires on her in a big way. But, you know, like parent, you know, either parents or adults will be like, oh, I really didn't like that she was a liar. And I'm like, well, I mean, every kid that age lies. Like if you don't think that kids that age are lying, then you're just a little bit naive about this stuff. It's not great, but it's it's happening, you know, like it's not necessarily one of her positive attributes, but it's something that happens, you know? So it was kind of fun to play around, you know, with, yeah, like some of the ways in which she could, she could be a better person, even with her friendships and things like that. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed coming with her. I, I, I feel like as a kid, I would have aspired to be like more like her. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I feel the same way. And you're right. It is. That's an interesting 
perspective that some parents have on books like this or really any books where they really zero in on those concepts. And what you're saying is so true. I mean, this is, I'm trying to make a picture of a full person. Right. And especially if they're young, they're going to have flaws. And what a jumping off point that is for conversation with your own exactly. kids. Exactly. I right? know. I feel like at the end of the day, like, yeah, parents are kind of like, ah, oh, this is one thing I don't love about this. Like you can have, it, it, if you're reading it with your kid, you can totally talk about this. Like, what do you think about this part? Like, do you feel like she made the right choice? Like, what would you do? You know, and, and yeah. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I really also like, so you kind of have right the, that timeline. Oh, and I did have one question for you. The interviews that Zoe conducts, were those taken from real people or did you come up with those? So I came up with them, but I did a lot of research on stories about people who've been out of prison, have been exonerated and things that they've gone through. And so I'm just reading different articles and yes, things like that kind of gathered what it's like for some people. I think, you know, there's a couple of anecdotes that I, I might've taken like as an example, like there was one anecdote where the guy was saying that, you know, when he went to a store and his, the thing was still on the, you know, the little yes. tag was still on the shirt or pants or whatever. And he left and the alarm went off and it freaked him out. And he got really scared. Like that was an anecdote I read somewhere. And that felt like a very, you know, good example of like, you know, a very quick, easy example to include that would show like how, what it's like, you know? So I was like, oh, I definitely want to use that example and just put it into the story somehow. So I also, one other thing that I did, although this wasn't regarding the exonerate specifically is more in general, yeah. just what life is like outside of prison is I did interview two people, one who, two, both of them work for an organization that helps with reentry services. So okay. they work with inmates when they're leaving prison. And so they gave me a lot of, you know, information about what it's like and what do they struggle with and what even led to their going to prison in the first place and why, you know, we shouldn't judge their character, you know, and things like that. And then also one of those two people was a previous inmate himself. So he also had a lot of personal experience. So just from talking to them and having them answer some of my questions, I was able to kind of weave in some of their knowledge into the book too. Well, you did a really masterful job with that because it feels very true to life. And that scene definitely stood out to me with the store where I thought that is so true that you would just freeze, right? Yeah. And this idea that you're carrying and that the parts of you that are taken by time in prison aren't easy to rebuild. Right, because even if you were proven innocent, you were still treated as a prisoner and as a guilty person for years. So your brain yes. isn't automatically going to just let all of that go. It's like traumatic. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So it makes sense. And it's not something you necessarily think about. You kind of think, oh, you're free. Like you're going to automatically be happy. You know, yes. I tried to make Marcus be a little bit more happy because I think he, you know, it just wouldn't make sense for, I didn't really want his character to come out being like experiencing all this PTSD where it would affect Zoe negatively, but right. also you know, as a reader, you also have to kind of remember that we only see it from Zoe's point of view. So we don't really know everything that he's feeling. He's We're only seeing what he feels when Zoe's able to witness. So Marcus can also be going through a lot more tough things privately, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, though, because it does the adults. Zoe and her adults have very, it feels, feels like for the most part, healthy boundaried relationships. So that idea that there's not too yeah. much spilling is right. And I think comforting. Yeah. And then you, right. get to, I wanted, yeah, yes. I was trying to be intentional about that. Like I wanted it to be a healthy, her to be in a healthy family dynamic, even with the challenges of having had a parent. Yeah. Well, I think that really speaks to kind of the wholeness and also, you know, Marcus comes out, but there is a network for him. Whereas for some people exactly. that doesn't exist. Yeah, and that's and the thing so, too, to yeah. show that that's, that can make a huge difference. And that's one of the things that made a difference for him 
but not everybody gets that, you know. So. Yeah. No, it was it was very powerful, and I think it will especially be powerful for the age set that will be reading it because it is a slice of life that they're not always right. going to have any visibility to, and they should. Exactly. Yeah. So I love that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I also really liked the, so we have the, that sort of track, but also Zoe dealing with a budding romance that is not hers. And I really liked that it wasn't hers because I thought it brought up a lot of, that's a significant moment in a child's life or in a young person's life, right? Where they have their own first relationship, but also when your friend group shift and change and how she navigates that, I thought it was really honest. Did you set out for that? Or did that kind of come up as you were thinking about how things would shift? No, I, well, I, um, I didn't set out for that in the first book. Cause cl- again, clearly didn't think I was writing a sequel, but right. when I was coming up with the sequel, I was like, okay, I definitely want, you know, Trevor, who's the main friend in the first book to come back. And then I yeah. was like, you no. Know, and I know that in sequels, it's always a good, this is a, a, a writing tip that I heard that if you're writing Ooh. a sequel, it's good to not only have you know, the same set of characters, you know, the the continuing characters, but also bring in some new characters and also bring in some new settings. So I was trying to think of like, okay, what are new characters and or settings I can Ooh, bring smart. in to kind of not make it boring for the readers yes. who read the first book and are like tired of seeing the same settings and the same characters. So I, that's why I added um, Maya, who is her friend mentioned in the first book, but isn't present in the first book. So she's more present in the second book. And so I was just thinking about, you know, what are some other, you know, challenging things that could happen? And that seems like one like you're what if your two best friends realize they liked each other like that would be such a big and it's funny because I went to a school visit and the kids were like when they heard that I was writing a sequel they were like oh my gosh is Zoe and Trevor gonna get together and I was like not exactly but I feel like this is I feel like this is a better yeah I feel like this is a better thing for her to be dealing with because it's like how this 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 is this happens again you know in your life you have your best friends and things change and it's it's so it's so common so I am yeah I'm glad that I chose to do that instead of having her be in a love situation. Plus, I also feel like there's a lot going on in her life. She doesn't need to be dealing with I just feel like she'd be too distracted. Yes. I don't feel like she'd be into that. Like, she's like, I have a I have a business I'm trying to build. I'm, I have cookies to, to cupcakes to make. Like, I don't have time yes. for this. Like, <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was thinking Zoe can't be bothered with that. Yeah, like, like, she's like, not. it's not really what she's looking to do right now. No. So. <laughs> but the scene in the bowling alley where she bowls the strike and turns around and nobody's watching. Oh, I was like, yeah. oh. Like, <laughs> the insecure middle schooler who lives inside me was like, oh, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. So it, it's really, you did a good job of making, I think kids will love it. And I think there will be a wide age range who can enjoy it. 
for and that yeah, that's the thing too. I know that like, you know, she's a little older and that was like definitely a challenge in terms of like, I still want it to be a book that the younger middle grade kids that were reading the first book can read. And I think yes. having the romance be secondary also allows it so that the third and fourth graders, you know, may not feel as uncomfortable if they're not ready for that yet. You know, <laughs> They don't want to read the detailed kissing scenes. Yeah, like I, I know that like there are some <laughs> readers, the older middle grade readers who might just wish that like there was even more of that or, you know, if they're, they're starting to get into those kind of books, but sure. they're, you know, it's pretty rare for there to be books in that middle, you know, like there's the, even having her be 14 is pretty rare. Like there's not that many 14 year old protagonists in books. You know, usually yes. they're younger, like 12, or they're older, like 16. Yes. I Yeah, so I was trying to still keep it middle grade because I wanted the younger kids to still be able to read it and enjoy it, but still something that maybe the older kids can relate to because this might be starting to happen to them too, so. Yes. I've spoken to a few authors about that, how there's sort of a dead spot between true middle grade and yeah. then young adult where, like, in that yeah, age where you're talking about. Where it's unfortunate because I think the authors wish that they could be writing more of it, but it's the publishers or the or the bookstores that don't they don't know how to shelve it. Or I, it just seems like it, I don't know, the market yeah. has to allow for it, I guess. Interesting. I never even thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, apparently, I mean, that's what I heard, that, you know, the publishers don't want to do it because the or are wary against it because the bookstores don't know where to shelve it. Like they don't have like, I guess some bookstores might have an upper middle grade shelf, but a lot of times it's just, you know, middle grade and YA. And so like, they don't know where to shelve this kind of thing that's in between. And so maybe one day, you know, that will be more possible. Maybe we can (laughs) print them some signs. I know, say upper, I don't know, maybe they need a new term (laughs) for like that in between spot. Um, Well, it's true. I I mean, it feels like. It used to be a term that people were trying to use tween, but nobody, it didn't really take off. And I think kids hate that term, I, I hear as a friends of mine who are teachers are like, oh, my kids hate when you call them tweens. I was like, oh, okay, I'll try not to use that word. <laughs> okay, I won't say that um, to their face. But no. yeah, so I don't know. I think it's that's where I think it's coming from. So publishers generally try to say, if you're writing middle grade, have them be 12. If you're writing YA, have them be at least 16. So That is so fascinating. I had never thought about that push from the publishers and so much of that interplay, right? Where, But it's funny, too, because I think, you know, back when I was young, there was no young adult. There, exactly. So yeah. it is sort of how can we make room for more categories of books without it being an issue that way necessarily. Yeah, but. there are more, I think, middle grade books coming out with 14-year-old protagonists. Like, yes. There's starting to become more. So maybe it is starting to shift a little bit. So hopefully. And my editor was perfectly okay with her being 14. She said, as long as she's not in high school. Like, it could still be middle grade. So she's like, if she's 14 <laughs> and she hasn't started high school yet, that's fine. And I was like, okay. okay. perfect. Okay. <laughs> then we can agree on that. It was, again, the only reason why it needed to be such a far jump ahead is because, you know, after the second book yeah. ends, it takes time for Marcus to go through the trial and to eventually be exonerated. So it would, you know, if the first book was when she was 12, it's not realistic that he's going to be out, you know, when she's 13 even. Like it had to be a couple, at least a couple years later. Yeah. That's so interesting. You know, every middle grade book I crack open this year in the library, I'm going to be like, how old is this character? Yeah. I mean, there are a few. Like I'm friends with the author Shannon Dulesky, and I think both of her main characters are 14. So she's definitely one author, you know, whose publisher is supportive of that. And there's a few, but again, it's, it's the minority for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, (laughs) shout out to all the authors who are writing 14 year old characters. They're doing, they're fighting the good fight. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. What's your, so you have an MFA in children's writing, correct? Mm -hmm. So what's your best, so I have kind of a twofold question. What's your best advice for people writing for children? And then what's your best advice for kids who are writing? Okay. So for those writing for children, I mean, I think 
that the number one thing that you can do, even if you, you don't have to get an MFA to do this, I think I've seen a literary agent mention this, read as much as you can in the categories you want to write. I mean, I think I saw one literary agent say that if you just sat down and read 100 books in the category, like 100 picture books or 100 middle grade books, and really like read them with the mindset of like, what am I learning from this? How are they telling the story? You know, what can yes. I take away from it? That's an MFA. And it's, you know, it's like, you're really putting yourself there. So just read as much as you can. Zoe Washington was the fourth book that I wrote, but it was actually the first middle grade book that I wrote because the three previous manuscripts I wrote were young adult. And so when I was making that shift, I read a ton of middle grade because I, I felt like I needed to know like what, you know, they're very different. And so I, I needed to kind of immerse myself in that middle grade yes. space. And so it was super helpful to do that. So, you know, as a children's book writer, just read as much as you can. And then uh, the next other tip would be to find critique partners who also write that same thing because they will be able to give you that feedback to help you to improve along the way. Yeah. So that's my tip for writers, okay. adult writers for kids books. And then for young writers, I usually say, I mean, I do also say that they should read a lot. It's, you know, and just in general, because reading definitely helps you become a better writer. But also... Just write as much as you can, but don't feel like you have to necessarily write a whole book to start. Like, just you can start with anything. Write short stories, write letters. I mean, as a kid, I didn't even know I wanted to be an author, but I used to just write journals. I used to write letters to my friends back when letters were still a thing that people did. Um, maybe emails would be today's thing. Or yes. I don't know. But, you know... Some authors got their start with fan fiction. So if you feel intimidated by the idea of coming up with your own characters, take a character from your favorite book or movie or show and maybe write a story about them. And, you know, just just start. And then the other big tip for young writers is to finish something. So because mm. I think that finishing, you know, like it's so easy to start a story and just keep working on it forever. But when you finally finish something, even if it's just a short story that's a few pages long, there is something to that. It feel, you feel really accomplished. And then you kind of get the sense of what a beginning, middle, and end is about. And so I say just write as much as you can, finish something. And then when you are ready, I also still agree that you should find some trusted readers, whether it's a teacher or your friends, to read for you. Because revision is so important across, you know, it's always going to be a thing that you have to do if you want to write, um, no matter what you're writing. So yes. it's good to learn how to revise. And I know you probably a lot of kids probably do this in school, but it can be fun when you're talking about revising your fiction <laughs> or your... Oh stories. It could be more fun. <laughs> yes. Oh, indeed. Anytime we bring up revision with our older students, they're like, I know really? it sounds terrible. I honestly love revising so much more than drafting. I think first drafts are hard. It's stressful because you're like, I know what I want this to be, but it's just not coming out right. And you just, I just have to get it down. But revision, I have so much more fun, like going back and fixing and, and playing around with what I've already put down. And, you know, it's, it can be so much more enjoyable if you, you know, if that's why it's you just got to do it and then you'll see, yes. I mean, some people still hate revision, but a lot of authors love revision. I think you're right. So. Cause that's where you can really make it shine and you have a little more control. You're actually molding something yeah. as opposed to just trying to form the lump of clay into something exactly. that looks like anything. And I think like it's the finishing, you know, I think yes. people don't want to revise because they're like, they just want to just keep tinkering with what their opening sentence or something. That is kind of revision too. Sometimes people just spend too much time. Yes. But like once you finish it, it's like exciting and you're like, oh, yes. like you want to make it better. So that's why I think it's important to finish. <laughs> I think that is excellent advice. And you're right. Finishing gives 
a new sort of energy to it, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm done and I have this to show for it. Yeah, that's really good advice. Do you think middle grade is your sweet spot? Are you going to stay there? Yeah, I definitely do. Looking back, the young adult novel, speaking of our like age thing, um, we're all kind of, I think, trying to be younger end of YA. I was writing stories that were not very edgy at all, you know, like very like light, you know, nothing too intense was happening. I probably... Like in theory, like maybe in my mind, I probably thought of these characters as being, you know, in the younger end of high school, like maybe like sophomores or something. But again, yeah. it's just like you, like it's not really what is in the market. So I think the reason why my earlier books weren't really going anywhere is because even at that time, like I think YA was starting to become a lot, starting to like inch its way toward being like on the older end of the spectrum, like older YA characters, sure. that whole crossing over so adults can read it and all that stuff. So I think like once I, and actually it was really, I thought Zoe Washington would be a young adult novel, but then I had a critique partner because we were swapping pages really early on as I was writing them. And, and they were like, I think that sounds more middle grade to me, just like with the writing a letter to their dad and all that stuff. And so I was like, I think you might be right. And so then I switched and I was like, wow, like I think it wasn't even, I did have to make some adjustments to my writing style, but I kind of realized that a lot of my writing style really did sound young. <laughs> I think I like kind of wasn't <laughs> writing the right thing. So Now that I'm in this, I really, really enjoy it. I think the middle grade, you know, space is really great. Like all the authors and the librarians and educators, like you're just much more connected, I think, to the educators and librarians as well in this space versus in why I think, because yeah, I don't know, I get the sense that they're reading more middle grade, at least on the internet when I say yes. So I I feel like that's awesome. I love the community. I'm in addition to obviously, I love writing this age group and exploring the different topics and themes that kids this age might be grappling with and things that remembering my own experiences as a middle school kid. And yeah, so... Well, I think it's I think it's a really perfect space for you and your writing, and I'm so excited. What are you working on now, if you don't mind, or if you don't want to talk about oh, it? Oh, okay. yeah, I can. Well, I can share some. So I'm working on my next middle grade book, which will likely come out in 2024, but okay. it is going to be a little bit of a departure from the kinds of stuff I've written because this is going to be more like magical realism a little bit. So it's going to have a little Ooh. bit of magic. Like, kind of very much, like, entry-level magic. Like, not, like, Great. the whole book is going to be... It's That's why I'm saying magical realism, because it starts in a realistic place, but okay. then find out that there's some magical kind of thing that's happening in this, like, in our current real world. So okay. it's kind of like an entry for me, because I've never really written magic, so it's been kind of a interesting challenge, because I literally had to go to one of my author friends who does write more magic, spooky things and say like, no, but literally if there's a spell happening, like what, like, what do I write as the spell? Like, how do I figure out a spell? And she's like helping direct me to like how I could do that. And so it's really interesting challenge, but fun. I'm enjoying it. So, and I think, you know, it still ties in some of my same favorite kind of themes. Like this one has a big friendship theme going on and, and things like that. And kind of grappling with, again, being in middle school, dealing with all the different challenges, but there's a little bit of magic going on too. So I'm excited about it. Hopefully I'll be able to share more about it soon. I'm just literally writing that like horrible first draft that's challenging, Perfect. but I, I am having fun, but it's definitely a challenge. So looking forward to the revision stage because I think I'll, it'll be so much more fun to work on the revisions. But yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's so exciting. Ooh, I can't wait. And sorry, as you were saying that too, I realized congratulations on uh, Zoe Washington becoming a series that's still happening, oh, correct? <laughs> oh well, or not a series, sorry, a movie, movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes. yeah, Disney Disney Channel is going to make it into an original movie sometime, hopefully soon. I don't know. It's like I, I think with COVID, everything got super delayed. Yes. But yeah, it's still in development. So hopefully soon. That 
I'll be so, right I'm very excited awesome. about that. Well, what's funny is when I was reading the second one, I was like, they really should make this into a movie. Like, yeah, I it, mean, maybe we'll get lucky and they will decide to do that. <laughs> um, we'll you see. You can drop them a note, say, by the way, <laughs> this wasn't, there wasn't going to be a sequel. And now I know. Is. That's like another, th- I mean, yeah. So we'll see. And I think what's exciting too is that even if it takes a little bit of time for the movie to come out, I'm hoping that it'll just be another way for, for kids to discover Zoe because a lot of totally. kids may not have read the books in school or whatever or yeah. found them. And so sometimes that's how you find books is by seeing that it's a movie first. And you're like, oh, it's a book. So I'm excited for more kids to discover Zoe's story. And, and I'm also just excited to see it because I, it's like, I, I never would have thought, you know? So it's cool to think that there might be like a whole set of people playing these characters on the screen. Like, <laughs> it's cool. Absolutely. I mean, it feels <laughs> magical to even think yeah. about it, right? Where it really is like... These are people that were in your brain and then somebody's going to pretend to be them. Right. Or even just like the fact that, you know, Disney and all these big, like Harry Washington, like thought it was oh. good enough to make it to something. I'm like, what? Like, it's just yeah. like that and not that already is like enough. But of course yeah. I want to see it come to fruition. But, yeah, but like, of course, and but also, like yes. even just that moment of validation, I'm just like, oh, my childhood self would be freaking out. I used to love watching Disney movies like and Disney Channel, you know, as a kid. <laughs> yes, of course. Your childhood self and adult self, I would think. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, I am ex- so excited to see that. And on air with Zoe Washington, let's give everybody, it comes out when? It comes out on Valentine's Day, Perfect. 2023, so February 14th. So you okay. can think of it as a nice little Valentine's Day treat for yourself. <laughs> it's a perfect Valentine's Day. I know it's kind of so, funny that it's coming out that day, but yes, I'm excited. That is funny. I like that. So that'll be coming out that day. So that gives everybody time to do two things, which is read from the desk of Zoe Washington and pre-order on air with Zoe right. Washington. Okay, perfect. I just want to make sure everybody has their marching orders. They yeah. need to know what to do next, right? Yeah, no. And, and Zoe Washington, the first one is available wherever and including at your library and it's audio. And so I hope you'll check it out before reading on air. I'm um, sure a lot of people will. And the audiobook <laughs> for from the desk was really good. Yeah, I love audiobooks, so I was really excited to have Bonnie Turpin in particular. Uh, uh, she's that one. amazing, incredible, <laughs> incredible. So. Will she do the second one? You don't know yet. Probably. They haven't okay. told me for sure, but I think I, I gather that they usually choose the same narrator, but I okay. haven't heard yet. So I th- I'm hoping so. Um, well, she is fantastic. She did um, doing different voices, like yes. adult voices and kid voices. Like she's just really good at distinguishing the voices in that. She's really yeah. She's yeah, good. she's incredible, and nothing can ruin an audiobook like a poor narration. I so know. Luckily, you really do appreciate um, it. My second novel, A Soft Place to Land, also had a different narrator, but also really excellent. So, so fortunately, I've not had a bad audiobook yet. But you are just winning. <laughs> Every, all you do is win. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Let's wrap this up. You have one question for me since this is Ask a Librarian. Let's go. So my question for you was, as an author, especially with all the things that are kind of going on now, I feel like librarians are in a challenging position with books being banned and challenged and all that stuff. Like, what can we authors do to help you? Like, is there anything that you wish authors would do or could do to make your lives easier or your jobs easier? You know, whether it's just having certain materials available or... What? <laughs> That's a really good question. I will have to think about this more because we didn't talk about it beforehand. But I do think that I would say your availability is the best gift for kids and for libraries because I think that some of the conversations around book banning are so limited and myopic. And when you flesh it out a little bit and hear people's perspectives and 
why they chose certain topics and what the thoughts are about that. I really feel like that lends an important perspective to the books. So just like we were talking about, even with, you know, people saying, oh, well, I don't like that book because she lies. Well, but here's why I chose to do that. And here's, here's what you can do with it. I think that having those conversations is so valuable and it's, and also the kids seeing that from from these people that are writing is such a gift. So I love, I love anytime I can have author visits, I'm in for that. But I think just what you're doing now, I mean, even being on today is just so helpful because it gives a rounder picture of what, what we're looking at. Yeah. And I would imagine too, like even some authors might use that to um, maybe create more content on their social media too. Like if they you know, maybe make a post addressing, you know, some of those things as well. That way, like you said, if parents are looking for information, they can yes. or even or have an FAQ on their website. Like I can see how there's different ways to maybe do that. Yes. And your website is fantastic, by the way. I was looking at it earlier today. It's very well laid out and there's a lot there. And so, yeah, I think having a good author website and if there are typical hits that you keep getting on your book, then addressing those, I think okay. is just such a gift for everyone. But yeah. That makes the, a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's good to know. <laughs> well, you're already doing a good job at it. So just keep it up. Well, thank you for that question. That was a really interesting one. I'm going to think about whether there's anything else I can consider, but thank you so much for this time today in your heat wave. And this was so fun to talk to you. I love your books and I'm so happy to meet the person behind them. I know. Thank you so much. I think you're, you're definitely one of the first to be reading on there. So we watched this. I'm glad that you got a chance to do that before our chat. Yes. And to be able to talk, this is the first time I'm getting to talk about it like this. So very exciting. I'm (laughs) so happy for you. I really am. And I really did love it. And sequels, I'm always not sure, right? Especially if I love the first one and this one I loved as much. And I will say, if not, even a little bit more. Aww, I'm so happy to hear that. So it's that. fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait. We will be keeping an eye out for all the things and cheering you on, but thanks for today. No, thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritesWords, or you can go to my website, juliewritesWords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.